So I spent the better part of yesterday trying to find a gay porno password effect. What? So here's the deal. I was reading a thread on a forum about Justin Lin, the director of uh, several of the Fast and Furious movies that he had left the latest one because uh, apparently, yeah, shocker, Vin Diesel is a total asshole and no one wants to work with him. No. And then one one of the guys in the in the thread just posted this completely unironically. I hope this doesn't impact the European cuts. I know the hardcore pornography is stunt doubles, but I know they need to work around the scenes from the main film. And no one else reacted to it. And I was like, is this something I don't know about? And then I asked this person, like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, you're going to have to explain this. And he says, a version of every Fast and Furious is shot that includes gay hardcore pornography inserted that runs in select European cinemas in a limited first print. They aren't released on home media that I know of, but they do well enough in those markets for the limited scope and budget of the scenes. And several other people in the in the thread chimed in, like, yeah, I went to one of those showings. It was fucking insane. Like, I, I saw Fast Furious 5, the gay hardcore porno cut. And so I just kept on reading this and like, so yesterday I sat with, like with two incognito windows open, just being like, Fast and Furious gay porno, and I like incognito? I did not get what I was looking. What are you hiding? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from who are you hiding it to? <laughs> uh, yeah, I because like I'm okay. Yeah, for research purposes, it would be more easily explained why I'm looking for Fast and Furious gay hardcore porno. <laughs> but so after reading this for a while, and then I find out later on in the thread that everyone was just like in synchronized with this being a bit because apparently it's a reference to an American dad joke. And I felt so... Oh, you got bamboozled. Yeah, but it was like five people, all of them saying that they had seen it and that like everyone had different explanations for why they saw it or like where they saw it. And it felt like these people are having synchronized with each other. And the guy just put it out there so casually that I was like, wait, this is like, <laughs> this is way too, way too subtle and like relaxed and like casual to be a bit. But it started, it started making me thinking, what movie would you like there to be like this kind of version of like that they took the original movie and that they just added some hardcore gay uh, like hardcore sex scenes pornography scenes in between everything um babe pig in the city would it be with the farmer and someone else or babe <laughs> i'll let you fill in the blanks on that one please don't Neither feel anything <laughs> um, oh <laughs> i guess the lighthouse <laughs> no <laughs> Yes. Did, did anyone see Antichrist? Yes, sadly. Yeah, they, they have those like black and white scenes with the gay, like uh, porn stunt doubles that are acting for Willem Dafoe and uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. I suppose. They're stunt doubles? Uh, yeah, I, I think otherwise they wouldn't like. I think it's a, a union issue. Like they're not allowed to do it unless they have to pay them like a different <laughs> rate. Would uh, the lighthouse, would that be like black and white hentai? Or the the, ten, the tentacly part. Yes. Yeah, okay. Although there are some mermaids as well, so I don't know. That would be in Blender. In in Blender. Yeah. <laughs> I think the my the, I think my the one I want to see is just like David Cronenberg collection. Just everything David Cronenberg has done, but it's some really good. Subtle body horror porn scenes in there. Subtle? (laughs) 
I don't think it's, it's isn't that just Crash? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen Crash. Actually. Well, the movie you're looking for is out there. It's called Crash. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch it. I heard he's coming out with something new next month. Is that true? Oh yeah, uh, I'm lo- really looking forward to the Crimes of the Future, right? I think so. Yeah. Weird title. Pe- Doesn't get me excited. It's actually an exact title of his like first film that he made. That it's like it's not a remake of it, but it's the exact same title. But that movie was made in 1970, and it has 4.9 on IMDb. And I'm like, has David Cronenberg ever made anything <laughs> that would be below a six if you would go for like IMDb standards? Um, I've forgotten um, about those. I don't know how they work anymore. Yeah, same. He's done some stuff I'm not super into. I don't know. I think that what's it called? The Brood. <laughs> Are you gonna start talking smack about a movie with Oliver Reed in it? Because uh, is Oliver Reed in Oliver, the Brood? Oliver Reed is in the Brood. The Brood, because I, he's, I remember, the, he's I like th- the cult psychiatrist guy. I think I saw like the Brood up until the last thirty minutes. Like, when when he starts getting great, <laughs> I know. Like this movie is just stalling. Everything is so boring and uninteresting, and just happenstance. Everything is just one scene leads to the next, and nothing happens. It feels like. Stalling the movie, or like, if yeah, it's preposterous. Yeah, and then go Speaking fucking of. nuts at the end. It's great. What's your favorite David Cronenberg movie? Um, ah, uh, if fucking, of course, uh, Videodrome. I'm gonna go with The Fly first and then Videodrome. Uh, Dead I'm Ringers sure. is also really good. It's like his most, his maybe his least like Cronenbergian movie, but uh, a very good movie. Eastern Promise is not a very Cronenbergian movie or a history of. I always forget to do that. I always get those two mixed up as well. I also, yeah. he has, uh, I really like his uh, cameo in uh, Jason X. Is he playing a scientist with dice? Uh, he's, he's, I think they um, they shot a lot of it in Canada and he just lent out uh, like part of his crews and like where he shots. And he was like, I'll do this for free as long as I get like a small role. So yeah, he plays a scientist that dies quite early on. <laughs> of course, like you can't have David Cronenberg playing anything but a doctor yeah. or a scientist. Yeah, no, I think he demanded to be killed as well. It's like Jim Jarmusch. If you're gonna have Jim Jarmusch in a movie, he has to be like a doctor type of person. The only movie I've seen him in, he plays a uh, uh, French fry salesman. In Jim Jarmusch. Yes, <laughs> I saw him in Bored to Death, and in Bored to Death, he plays himself as a really eccentric type of uh, director, which he is in real life. So, Ned, what's your favorite David Cronenberg film? I'll tell you when I watch one. <laughs> because I just scroll <laughs> through the filmography and I'm like, mm, yeah, I seem to have missed that part of life. Um, but The Fly sounds movie. like, The Fly sounds like I've watched it. Or maybe I've watched like a lot of, you know, those what culture videos where they do, <laughs> where they rank like disgusting horror movies. And I feel like it was there. Um, yeah, so maybe I haven't watched there. it. Yeah, the fly is very heavily referenced, like pop culture in general. The fly is mm. a fantastic movie. I, I think it's w- when I meet people who say that they don't like horror, I go like, okay, you need to watch the thing and the fly, and then tell me you don't like horror because like those movies do a lot more than just be scary with the plot with the material. Interesting. And speaking of doing more than what you need to do with the material, let's talk about today's movie. <laughs>
everybody and welcome to the podcast please don't hate it i'm your host pontus and with me here i have my two co-hosts philip and ned and this is the podcast where we three watch movies and then we talk about them but the twist is that every week we force the others to watch a movie not all of us have seen so that we can uh, i think the source of this movie the source of this podcast the idea for it came when me and philip had a hard time making each other watch the movies we wanted to watch because we just watched so differently like so 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 different material so it was a good source to do that and today we're going to be talking <laughs> we're 20, about over 20 episodes in and we still haven't nailed down how to <laughs> no because we don't to need summarize to. what we do <laughs> And today we're going to be talking about Sideways, which came out in 2004 and was directed by Alexander Payne, who then later on went on to direct uh, The Descendants with George Clooney. And also Downsizing, which I assume most people hate. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I think, Philip, you've seen it, right? I've... Why did I see it? Yeah, it's one of those I think, yeah, I saw it and I was like, why did I see this? Why did I choose this? And yeah, extremely forgettable movie. He also directed The Election, which is a great movie. And uh, Sideways came out in 2004 and stars Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church and Sandra Oh and also Virginia Madsen. And those are the main characters who are like important in this movie. Philip, do you want to give us a plot synopsis? Sure. So this movie is about uh, Miles, who's played by uh, Paul Giamatti, and Jake. Uh, Jack, Jack, Jake, whatever. Uh, they're old uh, college mates, and uh, Jake, Jack, Jake, he's uh, he's about to be married, so they uh, go to California wine country to spend a week golfing and drinking wine. Um, Miles is like he's been divorced for a while. He's quite depressed. He's a failed writer who's working as an english teacher but he's as a has a big passion for wine um so they go up there and uh immediately it's like pretty clear that jack wants to go up to the party and get as much late as possible before he ties the knot uh and miles is not really on board with his plans but they start hanging out with these two girls called stephanie it's played by Sandra Oh and uh, Maya. Maya. It's played by Virginia Madsen. And yeah, Jack immediately like, starts banging Stephanie and uh, spin this whole web of lies um, to get involved in, with and, her. And bringing in uh, Paul Giamatti, Miles' character in the lies as well, telling them that he's actually going to be published even though he doesn't know if he's going to be published. Yeah, so they, they hit it off immediately. Uh, Miles and Maya eventually also start uh, getting involved with each other um, until Miles accidentally spills the bean that Jack is actually getting married that weekend. So Maya tells Stephanie this. Uh, she <laughs> assaults Jack <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and uh, yeah, they head back. Jack gets married. Uh, Miles writes a letter to Maya off screen and she forgives him and the movie ends when he goes up to see her. Period. Yes. So I wanted to talk about why I chose this movie. It's, to be honest, this is one of the movies I saw. I think I saw it around the time it came out. And back then, I wouldn't say that my interest in movies were the same as they are you today. You were a like child. Back then. 
Yeah, I was 13 years old. So you're so... more interested in wine at the time than movies. Yeah. No, no. But <laughs> like, for example, I think around that time, I also saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I did not like that movie at all when I saw it. But if I rewatch it today, I'm pretty sure I would love it. But Sideways, for some reason, even though like when I rewatched it, I could only remember like three plot points in the entire movie. Like there are three scenes in the movie I could remember. But I still remember watching the movie and being like, it's, there's something like this movie, I relate a lot to it. Not not relate, but I absorbed it in a way where I feel like this is a genuine movie. Like it it meant a lot to me, even though I could barely remember anything. It's, I just like absorbed the, the emotional mel- melancholy of, of it. So when we started, like when I started making up lists of the movies we could watch, I was like, I asked, none of you have seen Sideways. And I, I wanted to rewatch it and revisit it and see like, have, have my change, have my like taste changed? Like, do, would I find this movie bad now or would I enjoy it more? And I think I, I love this movie so much more this time. Uh, maybe in a, I think the memory I have it, of is, is, since it wasn't like very clear, it was just like the feeling of it, the sort of feeling of uh, the melancholy and uh, sort of lost, like stuck, stuck uh, where you are in life. That feeling sort of stuck with me. But as I'm rewatching it, I'm I'm liking it a lot more as a, like a character study of how these people are like flawed and like how why they're making bad decisions based on their flaws. And I think that's the main reason I. I found myself like really loving this movie because uh, from a like pragmatical point of view, it's not very like an impressive movie. Like it's uh, not like the most beautiful movie or like most uh, like well-made movie, shot movie. But I still find it like yeah, there, there's like there's a really good script here that I really enjoy. So, what are your takeaways from the movie, Ned? So, when the movie started, I was really really into it i I'm, i was getting kind of depressed that i'll never be as passionate as these people are about wine i mean about anything in my life really um and i was like okay i feel like this is gonna make me you know understand wines a little bit better maybe it's gonna awaken an interest and then halfway through the movie i was like damn wine is boring oh these yeah. people are so boring <laughs> and um the, the but then I we got came in watching this is yeah uh, sorry to interrupt uh it's like i felt like um, it was either this because this is based on a book. Uh, I felt mm-hmm. like this could have like um, been the book they gave. Um, fuck, now I'm blanking on his face. Uh, Paul Giamatti. No, the writer slash director. Uh, Aaron Sorkin. The, no, the guy who did the adaptation. Um, uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. No, I feel Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. Yes, yeah. I feel like this could have been like okay, make a movie about this book and i think like, i could have done adaptation based on this book as well because like holy fuck wine is so boring how do i make this interesting yeah <laughs> instead instead he made a, a movie about flowers he could have done it like with this movie as well i feel like it could have worked to me it was a very specific line in the movie that made me like say oh my god this is just i can't i hate people that like wine and it was when he asked her what was the first bottle that made you realize that you're into wine she's like oh it was an 88 something and i'm like shut the f- Fuck up! I don't care about <laughs> wine anymore. <laughs> uh, the, the, like the conversation to have, and like she's looking straight into the camera, talking like super, like it, she's like just talking about wine. It's like is she like seducing him right now? Like what the fuck is going on? Because I don't understand anything that they're talking about. Is this yeah. supposed to be sexy? 
I don't even know how I got from, oh my God, it, it's red because of the skins of the grapes to shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear about wine anymore <laughs> <laughs> because I was really into it. <laughs> for, for some reason, I, I feel like, because uh, here's the thing, I think I like wine even less than both of you do. Actually. I'm the one who's making wine and I was fucking bored out yeah. of my wine about all yeah. the fucking wine. <laughs> but but to, to me, when there are scenes in the movie about wine, when they're talking about it, it doesn't feel like the content of the scene is... This is how wine is made, or this is what's important about wine. It was more like how these people are so obsessed with it. Because I think early on in the movie, there's a scene that I think symbolizes a lot of the, like, sort of, first off, Miles' character, he's actually like an alcoholic, but no. there's a sort of nuance in the movie that he is, that he is like using this wine tasting aspect of it to make it like more, like, more okay. Whereas Jack, he is like, He's not an alcoholic, but he's just like enjoying his, enjoying things as they come. So there's like there's a scene when they're doing a really in depth. This is how you need to like you need to look at the color and you need to smell it and you need to pour it and like you need to shake it. And then Jack is asked like, okay, so when do we drink it? Like now? And he just like t- swig like com- uh, drinks up the whole glass immediately and goes like, oh yeah, that's great. And like because I think his character is, I love his character in that he's he's like. A golden retriever that's like is very horny because he never gives up on miles he's always there and like always trying to push him even though miles is like an asshole to him and he's just too stupid to realize it but when when you have that scene in the beginning when they're sort of talking about the different like how to drink wine and so on it sort of made me feel that paul giamatti as a like his character in the movie is, is like he's just trying to fancy this up because he's an alcoholic and like or that he's become an alcoholic because of his passion and I, I used to find that when they're having all these scenes about wine, it doesn't feel like the scenes themselves are about wine. It's like, is Whiplash about drumming? Like, is Whiplash more about obsession? But it, you like, bet, like, Whiplash keeps, I think, like, movies like, for example, Whiplash keeps the, you know, talking about jazz to, a, like, a bare necessity. And this movie, it's, it's just way too much about wine because like I feel like yeah sixty percent of run runtime is talking about wine. I feel like it could be cut down like you could literally taken out seventy percent of all the scenes talking about wine and it would have had like a greater effect because I wouldn't be as bored. It would still have like because there's this scene towards the end when he's just like eating at a burger joint and you can see that he's opened up this bottle of like a sixty six whatever that was saving for a very special occasion. He's just drinking out of a plastic cup. That would still have had the same impact if, you know, if you could have mentioned that in some scene, but like it's just so much goddamn wine talk. I think I think the reason they're having so much wine talk is because they needed to establish some way that Paul Giamatti's character and the Maya that they have something to talk about because otherwise, like, how do you make their relationship feel like natural? Because what you could have done is add like you know six or seven more montage montages to this because there's so many goddamn montages in this movie <laughs> you can have a fucking sequence. montage of them talking about it instead of having like a 10 minute conversation where like yeah i'm so zoned out here because i don't care about anything I- i'm genuinely shocked now because like before we watched this movie i thought like okay philip might uh, philip might be like 50 50 on this and when i was watching it there were so many times i was laughing i was like i feel this might actually be a philip movie but i was wrong right um, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> after we were done with this movie, my partner was like, uh, like, who chose this movie? I was like, Pontus, like, huh, this was a Ned movie. 
<laughs> I'm shocked. I don't know if that's supposed to be good or bad. Because I also, uh, like, it also reminded me, it felt like a bit like Paddleton without the cancer. Because, like, especially, was this shot in the same hotel as Paddleton? I think I even, like, recognized the pool they were in and, like, the no, whole windmill think. thing. I don't think so. Because up in wine country and, like, the whole Danish theme. Didn't they go to, like, Vermont or something in Paddleton? No. Both are set in California. I know you didn't think it was in California, Paddleton, but it was in California. They go- Ostrich farms. You have the Danish windmill things is wine country. And, like... Like I said, the reception of the hotel and the like, the the p- tiny pool they were in. I I like. I think you might be in the same hotel. Damn, detail oriented. What did your partner think of this, Philip? Um, she hated all the characters. She thought it was a fine movie. She liked s- stuff about the movie making, but she couldn't connect with any character. And I feel kind of similar. It's like Miles is just an annoying little bitch, and. Uh, Jack is just a, yeah, it's just a Chad. Like he's not even a himbo because he's not likable enough for it. It's like a golden. He's like a golden retriever. (laughs) No, nothing. I don't know what golden retrievers you've met in your life, but yeah, no, he's more more of a rabbit. No, but like yeah, yeah, I mean a golden retriever in the sense that he's so happy, happy, go lucky. Like nothing really seems to face him. Because, like, there's so many times in the movie where, like, Miles is telling him, like, you're an absolute idiot, you're a child. And Jack's reply is, like, I know you're on hard times right now, but you're going to get through it. And it's like, yeah, I felt like, like he was on up. as much, like, as hard of a time because he was clearly struggling with, like, commitment issues and like, was obsessed yeah. with uh, uh, the thought of uh, infidelity. So, like, I don't I was more interested. He didn't seem him. carefree and happy at all. He just felt like it was better at hiding it than uh, Miles was. But as someone who's like struggled with mental health, I, I I felt that a lot of the sort of self-loathing and the sort of the mel- melancholy of Miles' character, Paul Giamatti, I, I felt it was portrayed in a way where it's like d- depression and men- bad mental health isn't really just like you're sad. It's more that nothing really makes you happy, like nothing makes you feel content. And I feel that this movie actually does like represent that in a pretty relatable and natural fashion. So I think like that's the main reason I found found this movie because first off I love movies that take place like this movie takes a lot of the things I love about stories which is like movies taking place in sort of a contained area or like movies that take place in a short amount of time where there's like a you know the time is happening because like in this movie they have like Monday Tuesday they show a title card with the day they're on and you know that on like Friday they're gonna be going back on Saturday and so on. And that's one of the things. And then I also love like a, a road trip movie where it's like there's a goal. There's an A and a B where they're going to be at and what, where they're going to be going. And then you have the characters like going through the like going through changes as they're experiencing these things together. And I think having that framework to tell a story about like depression, I think it's it's done in a way where like I can relate to this because like there's a funny tweet of a guy writing. Like, oh, uh, everyone said, like, you're depressed, you should just go on vacation. And then the reply was like, oh, great, now I'm depressed on the beach. Because that's kind of like the, what's happening here. And I don't know, okay, it feels like I'm on defensive mode here trying to explain why I like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, defense rest. Uh, but, like, I mean, first of all, I don't think it's a road trip movie because they go there and, like, no. 
There's no road trip. There's a lot of driving. Yeah, but you're going you're going all over the same places. Like I want to say, it's like it's definitely a point A to point B movie. It's like go there, stay there, drive around there, and go back for the last five minutes. Okay, so, okay, maybe not. Road, uh, I didn't mean road trip movie. More like a holiday movie or a vacation movie where they're like they're in one place. Yeah, um, like a different place from home. I mean, yeah. Was there nothing you liked about this movie? Like, oh, uh, I, there I was like one thing I loved actually. Sandra, Sandra so Oh, uh-huh. and should I say Sandra Ho? Because she was giving <laughs> bad advice. Sandra, oh my God. Like, why did nobody tell me that she looked like this before? Because now she's giving this anti-energy and I'm like, oh my God, Sandra, oh, totally would if I could, but I can't. They, they, one, of the, one, of the, one of the reviews on Letterboxd that I was thinking of choosing was the one where it's like, if I'd seen this movie... Uh, back when it came out, I would have known I was bisexual a lot earlier. <laughs> like, <laughs> Damn, Sandra O. Oh, my god. Um, I was shook at that. This was oh. actually my plot twist uh, when I saw her come in. I, because I, I knew she was in, and I saw some reviews saying that she was hot, and I'm like, how hot could she be? Damn. <laughs> I was speechless, dumbfounded. I, I, I was focused on the movie. I wasn't looking at my phone. That's impressive. <laughs> I think also, like, I want to give a shout out to Virginia Madsen, Maya, in the sense that if if you think of, uh, if this movie was made, like, by a different director, wouldn't her character be played by someone a lot younger and, like, more conventionally, like, hot? Because, like, it's, it, in the movie, it kind of feels like, yeah, she, she looks like she's around the same age as Maya's character. It looks like she's, like, it feels pretty realistic. So I just wanted to give a shout out to whoever made that decision. I think if she was like overly hot, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, but there are a lot of movies like every fucking Adam Sandler movie is like, yeah, like but every fucking Adam Sandler movie goes with like quite a different vibe than this. Does. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I don't think it's like but, I don't I think you're apples and oranges here. But <laughs> <laughs> I think like I think they actually tried to market this movie as like a, a sort of that kind of comedy because they it shows like the three. Well, I guess, like, I did some reading up, and I guess it was, cons- uh, like, successful in that, because apparently this had, like, quite a big cultural impact, this movie. Yeah, Pinot Noir. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize this until the scene popped up, but I had seen that scene somewhere when, like, uh, Paul Giamatti is going on about how fucking much he hates Merlot, yeah. uh, and, like, how this movie actually, like, I think, like, dropped the sales of Merlot and uh, raised Yikes. the sales of Pinot Noir made Pinot Noir so popular that like it they made you know a lot more people grow shitty Pinot Noirs and blend them with other grapes and now Pinot Noir is a shit wine because of this movie so I had no idea it was like it, yeah it drew such an audience but it kind of feels like me and my partner has this joke after we watched uh, A River Runs Through It um, how like oh yeah this is the movie they watch at like the annual, you know, fly fishing convention. All the fly fishermen are like so fucking stoked to get together and watch the fly fishing movie. And this feels like the fucking wine mixer movie where all the wine nerds get together once a year to watch this movie. For some reason, I kind of feel like this movie pokes a lot of fun at wine people in one way because it feels like everyone in the movie is sort of they seem to be having this aura around them that they're just like, they're just making it up as they go along. But that is wine. Like, it's all yeah, bullshit. It feels like the movie, like, so if there's a convention for wine mixers and they're 
watching this movie, then they're not in on the joke. Like they're not getting that. <laughs> no, but they all like they all drank the wine Kool Aid. You know, it's like <laughs> I think also Paul Giamatti said like he he's not into wine at all, and he thought it was like a joke casting that where he just uh, made shit up as he watched it as well uh, as he acted. I think Paul Giamatti is such an underrated actor. I also like, feel like it was a bit. I mean, I don't. I kind of like it to have these two uh, leading men who I feel like genuinely play antagonists, be the two protagonists. But like yeah. they still are, you know, both are kind of like very shitheads in their own right. <laughs> yeah, they're very unlikable. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I like that when movies go for those things. They're like, oh, this guy mm-hmm. is usually uh, a baddie, but now you're supposed to like him. But also, I don't think we were supposed to sympathize with him. He literally stole money from his mother in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I feel I I I, I kind of feel that uh, Miles Paul Giamatti's character is supposed to be like you're supposed to pity him. I didn't feel like you're supposed to dislike him. It's more like oh, I didn't. Okay, pity him. he yeah, but he, I mean, he, he felt pathetic. Yeah, but like I didn't feel pity for him. He's like, oh, this guy's pathetic, and like my my opinion about him never really changed throughout the movie. Same as like, oh, Jack is a shithead, and he was a shithead throughout the whole movie, and yeah, I never. None of them ever, like, yeah, felt like there wasn't a you know a hero's journey, if you would say something like that, throughout this, except yeah. for at the end, Pochimari finally gets laid again. Oh, you don't know that. I mean, you, you, he got laid before the end, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think like uh, Jack. There's there's one scene in the movie that kind of made me, where I, I wouldn't call it stomach churning, but it's more like, oh, this is such a bad situation which is the when uh, uh sandra o is coming and beating the shit out of jack with the with the, go the, off queen yeah and uh, she's like breaks his nose because she fi- has just found out that uh, he's gonna get married and she's saying that like you told me that you love me you told me that you wanted to move here and you as the audience you know that like he was seemed kind of serious about that like it seemed like he was genuinely regretting getting married so like there's a part of you know like when you're watching a movie and it's like oh stop talking like let the person finish like stop Uh, listening but you also get the vibe you know as like you know people like when he's talking about like oh yeah you can let's go up and we buy a a vineyard together and i'll do the business (laughs) and you make the wine like like someone who's like oh they're really passionate about this thing in a moment but you like you know that there's nothing is ever coming out of this. Like they yeah. just, yeah, it's just who they are, and they, they, they're not, they're not lying. They just like they're never gonna act up on it. There was a part of me that kind of made me think that okay, okay, I think he actually is like genuinely in love with Sandra O's character compared to how he's in love with his. Ar- I like the fact that they specify like three times that his wife is Armenian, <laughs> like that they need to bring it up that it's an Armenian wedding, everything. No, but I, I think also, like he thought he was that, but yeah, he just seems like a very like passionate guy who just like lives easily infatuated with people. Yeah, he, he, like super reactive and emotional, and just do whatever, and then he uh, yeah doesn't deal with the consequences of it until it bites him in the ass or breaks his nose. If the if the if you could make any kind of movie with this kind of framework of it being around a very like niche subject. I'm not not niche subject, but a subject and it's like made entirely for you and like your passion. And in the framework of a romantic comedy. Uh, not, not like 
if like for example i love whiplash because i love drumming like i love drums in general but if they made like if you could choose any subject that they're gonna make a movie about that's so nerdy and like it's only you and your audience are gonna enjoy it what what, what subject would it be Nothing. wow kidding us with the hard questions i was about to say like vinyl collecting but i'm not devoted to that the way these people are devoted to wine so you, that. you have that movie it's a high fidelity <laughs> and high fidelity is a well good movie. i haven't watched it <laughs> uh, the only other thing that came to mind is my love for charlie xcx that's <laughs> just putting her youtube channel on the loop or something yeah i don't know what i I, th I think i could make like if there was a movie that took place in the world of like building computers i think i would love that like if the movie was just like everyone is just interested in computers and talking about building computers i would i i would fall in love with that concept do you have anything philip i don't know the whole thing of like oh this like the things that are interested in like i'm interested in is like things that like you know i i don't feel like it's like marries itself to being forced like a story forced upon it there's things like a Unlike doing for the things of doing them, I have like very little interest in watching something. It just evolves like this as a you know the flavor of it. Like if it's something I'm interested in, I would watch like a documentary about it. Like, but yeah, like I don't want like a thriller <laughs> evolving like picking mushrooms. It's just like yeah, like if you if you do something about it, like oh you go super nerdy about it. It's like yeah, cool. Or like you just do something about it. It's like oh that's not accurate, and then I just hate it. So like I, I think it's very, it's not really, it's a loose, loose kind of for me to make those things. What would you think? What, what do you think your opinion of this movie would have been if it was about them picking mushrooms instead of drinking wine? It was same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Like, like I, I mean, it's fine. It's like something I would be more interesting in, but I don't think it would have saved this movie. So were there any laugh out loud moments? Because like I laughed out loud maybe like five times in this movie. Uh, when he like drinks from the spit jug, maybe. It's a good, uh, it was a good meltdown. I can appreciate those. But uh, Paul, Paul Giamatti does a good meltdown in movies, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, no, like it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that funny. Like I, I didn't, nothing much about the writing felt like super clever or like mm -hmm. not i mean it is subjective but like it didn't it didn't tickle my funny bone all that much yeah so same. around the time so around the time this movie came out it sort of it made me think a little bit like uh, about the sort of trends that come and go in movies and uh, how this trend that this movies are a follow that we don't really see that many like bigger movies nowadays about it but it's more that around this time there were a lot of like in the Oh, oh, so maybe the early tens. There were a lot of movies that were like these low key, depressing drama movies about like melancholy and sort of just like a, a regular malaise about life, just sort of wandering and not really knowing what to do. So it was like, you had like Garden State and Little Miss Sunshine and then Sideways and Eternal Sunshine. And then you can also like Juno in a one way and then Lost in Translation and American Splendor. Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic to a certain bit, and then like adaptation, and also to a certain extent like maybe being John Malkovich, 
And I think like, I think it's a bit sad that genre sort of fade out pretty quickly because I think I think it's I I, I try to think of we we talked a lot about how Lasse Hallström makes mom movies or like what is it you said, Philip? Grandma movies. Yeah. So this movie, what is that? Is that like the single aunt movie? Or like I don't I don't feel like there's much that much connective tissue between the movies you mentioned and like this one. Like yeah. it, it, like when you, you compare it to like two Charlie Kaufman movies and and which are like incredibly high concept but not, not like in a nerdy subject, just like it's extremely outlandish idea and like cre- very extremely creative movies and this is not that. This is just about Oh, it's a movie about a man being sad, and then it's a kind of generic romantic comedy. Like at least, I, I, at least the way it's structured. Like if you compare this to, like, adaptation literally makes fun of this structure. It's like, oh fuck, I'm getting towards the end of this. I need to have something interesting happen, and then you like that happens in the movie. I I think it's more like of the the way studios greenlit and marketed the content in the like I I know like adaptation and. Uh, Eternal Sunshine are not really like that close to Juno and this one and like Garden State but that there, there seemed to be a time when there was room for movies to have where the peaks and valleys are not very like drastic there's like the, the peaks and the sort of emotional conflicts are very like subtle bumps because it was like the general just melancholy depression shit and that, that was like there was a time when a lot of movies were made like that, and I just think it's a bit sad that we haven't seen anymore. And then I, I just mean, like the, tried to figure like the the ones uh, like Wes Anderson and Charlie Kaufman still makes these movies. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, one but, can argue like Wes Anderson has made the same movie for twenty years. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Wes works. Anderson, I think, yeah, I think Wes Anderson's <laughs> movies have become a lot more like visually punchy, at least. It's like I think like it Life Aquatic is a. It, like Life Aquatic is a very visually like gorgeous movie, but it's not as like it's a lot more subtle than let's say like French Dispatch or Grand Budapest. I mean, he just he has this one thing, and sometimes it turns up to eleven. And he does it like quite a lot more nowadays. Like because if you think about like Life I mean, he Aquatic, turns it, he turned it back on uh, Dalgene Unlimited, and, and like getting sucked. Yeah, like a rush more. He hadn't gotten into it yet. And then now and then he's just like, oh, is this like an 8 on the Wes Anderson scale? Or is this like a fucking 25 on the Wes Anderson scale? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and like his movie is always about this dysfunctional family stuff. And like Charlie Kaufman, like fucking uh, <laughs> Synecdoche, New York is like as about one depressed ass man. Like, So, I mean, I think you still have a lot of these movies floating around and maybe they just don't get, you know... Uh, the wider audience aren't lured into them in, in the same way. Uh, or like the, um, how do you say it? The mainstream audience. I mean, the, the, the creators have mentioned instead of a wide audience, but I wouldn't maybe necessarily call it mainstream. I think Charlie Kaufman is like, there's something so intimidating about him, in my opinion, because his movies are so dense. It kind of feels like looking into a real dark hole whenever you watch this movie is like a real dark depth hmm. so like the what was the latest one called i'm thinking of ending things mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i love that movie but whenever you're sort of peering into the psyche of 
Charlie Kaufman, it feels like every one of his movies is a suicide note, and it's really, <laughs> it's really, it's really difficult because you, there's like a, a through line in all of his movies of what the characters are experiencing, and that like they all have something in common in terms of like sadness and f- hopelessness. So when you're watching his movies, I'm like, okay, please don't let this be the last movie you make, Charlie. Like, please get help. Like, I get just so scared whenever I'm watching his movies. But those movies also kind of like you know they stick through it from beginning to end. They usually don't are very like, happy ending, and this you know has to flirt with the happy ending. I think like the the ending of this is like it doesn't really solve the problem of Miles' character or like Paul Giamatti's character because he's still an alcoholic. Like he's still not published. He's still not fulfilled in his job. It's more like he's found something that's going to like keep him afloat maybe like maybe a bit longer maybe forever but it's not like the happy it's if a triumphant ending is like a 10 then this one is maybe like a 6 or 7 in my opinion like it doesn't it doesn't really tell you like everything ended happily No I think I like w- one movie I I kind of think about like when I was watching this a bit like both of you have seen Patterson, right? It's uh, uh, yes, but I haven't. Adam Driver, yeah, yeah. D- did you like it, Philip? Uh, it's probably my favorite uh, John Rush movie. I think it's the only one I've seen actually with him. But th- that movie, I I love it for the fact that it's just like a movie about everyday life and how it like how quaint it is and how sort of like routine everything can be, with, but with without being sort of like framed as a boring or like uh, mundane thing and how it ties into Sopranos <laughs> does? yeah it's just set in the same place like they, they go to Paris a lot in Sopranos oh I barely remember that uh. I haven't seen I haven't <laughs> seen Sopranos in like a year have you seen Sopranos Ned? never no you need to watch it just felt like I'm not the target audience so I didn't watch it same with The Wire but I know that they're both like things I should watch <laughs> I am not the target audience at all for Sopranos, and I loved it. Like I, everything about Sopranos, I genuinely hate, and I, I loved it. I don't even know what it is. Is it a comedy? Is it a, a drama? What is it? The mafia comedy drama on HBO, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone in the movie is like everyone in Sopranos is basically miserable because we're in the mafia, and the movie, like they never really shy oh. away from showing that. I like that. It's like. <laughs> You have a mobster taking clipping out coupons because he's not making enough money as a mobster. <laughs> I think that's probably the best scene of uh, all of Sopranos. Oh, yeah, where are we going with Patterson? No, I just want to say like I I kind of get the same <laughs> feeling of mundaneness uh, like that that yeah, but Patterson I think is like a a love letter to the mundane. Yeah, and this is like yeah, what is this? I think, I if, think we're gonna, more... if we're going to do mundane, just make it like more visually appealing. Because this one was just giving Hallmark. Uh, that, that's the only <laughs> thing I was thinking. You have the ProMist filter. Everything looks soft. There's no exciting like camera work. I know it was 2003 or whatever, but still, come on. And um, if you gave it like the Wes Anderson treatment, would I have liked it more? Maybe. I don't know. I kind of I, I kind of enjoy the sort of amateurs low budget aspect of this with this like when they're making cuts and you see that it's raining in the background and then the next shot is not raining because like they were like yeah what are we going to do like we're shooting on location we don't have time to shoot for another day 
I think like that's <laughs> one thing about the visuals I enjoy. <laughs> and I, I kind of enjoy like this smoggy dusk feeling that they have in some scenes. Like there's one scene in the movie that's... I, I like the scene when uh, Miles uh, gets pissed off and he finds out that his ex-wife is going to come to the wedding of Jack. And he just like picks up a wine bottle and starts running down and like sprinting down in the wine fields mm-hmm. and just drinking while Jack is trying to catch up with him. And it's like, it's a very gorgeously shot, like gorgeously lit scene just because it is, it's just the sun of California. Yeah, I think like the, those are like the only, to me, those are the only scenes that stand out are the ones involving Paul Giamatti freaking out. It's like that when he runs mm-hmm. down the hill drinking wine, drinks a spit bottle, a uh, bucket, when he like sneaks into the house to get back the wallet back. Uh, and or maybe also the one where when Sandra like assaults uh, Jack, but I mean, yeah, I feel like it's so such loosely connected to the overall plot, and like the but the main thing this movie goes for because it's also very it's just over two hour long movie, and I feel like uh, it drags. I actually have in my notes here that I find this movie is well, very well paced. Like I I'm no. like I sort of zoned out and sort of was because I like hypnotized by it because he's like yes it's like it's going on and on and then th- there's not a lot of points in the movie where i'm like oh, i want to do something else if that happens it's because like i'm cringing like i'm, I'm <laughs> feeling embarrassed uh, for paul giamatti's character those are the only yeah. scenes when i'm like okay i'm i'm, I'm comfortable now I, I usually like i get so yeah with those things i cringe humor is not for me but i felt it wasn't even anything of that the mo- that much in this movie mm-hmm. like when he's super drunk when when he's super drunk, uh, like, and he goes and calls his wife, ex-wife, like those scenes are like really uncomfortable to me. Or like when he is, uh, uh, Maya is hitting on him in, in hidden hitting on him in the house of Sandra O, oh, and uh, he's not getting it, or like he's too like uh, shy or too like depressed to reciprocate and like kiss her or something, and it's like. It's real. You just sitting and go like, for fuck's sake, Paul, just fucking do something. Like, you asshole, you idiot. <laughs> but I guess I think that's all I have to say about this movie. I'm, I'm a bit shocked and sad <laughs> that you didn't like it. Actually, I'm like, mm-hmm. I thought I had a. I feel like I, how many strikes out do I have so far? Like, <laughs> 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 like zero out of five, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, uh, Ned technically chose this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> how? Yes, I, I, I kind of regret it because I then went and found the other one and I saw all the reviews and I'm like, yeah, this one seems much more fun. Should we go for that one next week instead? Have a double feature or have you. Uh, You're in timeout for two weeks, Pontus. Uh, <laughs> you're in the corner yeah, time out the regular two weeks we're always in time <laughs> yeah. out for you trying to make it sound like I'm in the shit locker yeah. here or something it's interesting that <laughs> this you is like pacing, double or nothing <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how you found yeah. the pacing to be right I, I feel like this this day this like their week that they're going through should have started on Wednesday for this pacing to, to work for me because like I almost at one point forgot that we were going through different days and then the the, the, the title of the next day popped up and I'm like Oh my god, two more till Saturday? <laughs> it literally felt like a work week, and that's not a feeling you want to have while watching a movie. And um, yeah, but just I, I don't know why. I, in the first 40 minutes, I was so into it, and I was like, yes, Pontus, thank you for showing me this. And then I got so bored. 
I was really bored. And uh, the whole meltdown thing that he had that I couldn't watch, I kept thinking like, oh, I would have loved to see Steve Carell do this. <laughs> I don't know why. It, to me, like he would have made the movie a bit more interesting. Like anything Michael Scott does. <laughs> yeah. But have you I seen have. Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah. yeah. And he's he's great in it. Mm-hmm. But you you should if you want to see if you want to see uh, like uh, freakouts by him and Paul Dano, that's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, All right. So yeah. Philip, no, it's you, Ned, for next week. I think it is. And while mm-hmm. Philip was giving the recap, I was like researching movies because I forgot that it was my turn. Um, <laughs> so you did a, a wonderful thing last time when you just gave us some uh, reviews, but I didn't have the time to do that, and I thought I would do it. Uh, so I'm oh, just gonna. Ned comes prepared again. Uh, I'm just going to read the genres and you decide. So one of the movies is a thriller comedy drama. And the themes are intense violence uh, and sexual trans something. I can't see the rest. And the other one is a mystery drama horror. And the themes are faith and religion. Ooh, I, li- I like movies uh, about religion. Yeah, I'm, I'm in for that one. Okay, then let's watch Saint Maud. Ah, okay. I missed it. Uh, it's theatrical run, but I wanted to see it then. So exciting! That's good. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, You're not convinced. You're not convinced. I uh, hope you forgive me for this week, and uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Anyone else and... want to say anything? Goodbye. No, I don't do goodbye. <laughs> I don't think you should beg for forgiveness because, like, I didn't hate hate. I was just bored. It's not a no one. Okay. It was... <laughs> I feel like fine. I'm gonna have to have. Isn't that I'm, the worst I'm, thing, though? I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a slam dunk soon. Like, I'm gonna need a home run. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm gonna get replaced by someone else on this podcast. <laughs> well, you should get like, you have data now to know what doesn't work. <laughs> but it seems like no matter what I'm trying, I'm like, I'm, I'm going in a different direction every time you to see like to see where the limits are, and like every time I'm getting nothing back. <laughs> Season two. Dude, we're we're gonna keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> You're gonna get it. <laughs> uh, be be prepared for the casting because we're gonna need auditions to replace Pontus. We're gonna need someone who can fill the same role. Tune back just in three weeks to see if Pontus is not better. <laughs> I'm thinking we need an Asian uh, person, so maybe Scarlett Johansson could replace you in this one. Oh! <laughs> I always damn. wanted to like say something like that because this is my favorite running joke. Every time somebody says something about representation, I'm like. Yeah, okay, let's wait for the Scarlett Johansson joke. <laughs> Is that, I'm kind uh, of tired of that one. the anime movie she did? Yeah. Uh, yeah, reference. she was in Ghost in the Shell. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They shot themselves so hard in the, in the foot with that movie because I was like, I was half okay with them having Scarlett Johansson play that character because like the anime and manga creator was like, yeah, the character was not supposed to be like Japanese per se. But oh, then really? in the movie, they kind of... But then in the movie, they actually make it into a plot point that she's like <laughs> a reanimated Japanese person that got put into a white woman's body <laughs> at the end. So it's like, so at the end, they're like, it turns out she was actually Asian all along. She has looked like Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> anyway, like you made it so much worse. Like her. <laughs> it, like it would, if you had said nothing, it would have worked. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>